Well, welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host, and today I'm going to talk to you a little bit about a small village over in Berrien County called Stevensville. And we're going to go into some of the history of this interesting little village. Now, Stevensville was originally platted in 1870 by a man by the name of Thomas Stevens, who was a prominent banker from Niles, Michigan, and he owned a large tract of land in the area. It was around 180 acres, and there's a really interesting story behind it, Um, but let's look at some of the present demographics of the town. Currently, the population as of the 2020 census was 1147 people in this small village of Stevensville. And just to give you a comparison of how small the growth has been in the 2010 census, it was 1142 people. So, hasn't seen a lot of uh, growth over the years. It hasn't changed much. Uh, back in 1906, the population of Stevensville was 250 people. So, it's been a small village pretty much since its original inception. Now, there's a website called the Southwest Michigan Business and Tourism Directory, and they have a list little bit of the history of Stevensville. And it says that in 1869, Thomas L. Stevens, originally from Tyingsboro, Massachusetts, purchased 160 acres in an area just south of St. Joseph, Michigan. In exchange for having a railroad depot as part of his land and being named after himself, Stevens, Mr. Stevens sold a portion of his acreage to the Chicago and West Michigan Lakeshore railroad company for a sum of one dollar now laying of the rail line and establishing a depot assured a railroad stop to pick up fruit servicing the area's largest industry which was the orchards of peach farming as well as probably apple farming And this became a powerful influence on the future of the community because having that railroad stop there made it easy for farmers to bring their products and produce and have them loaded on a train and they were shipped to Chicago. Now, interestingly enough, Wikipedia says that the village was platted in 1840, but this reference clearly states that he didn't own the land until 1869. And I found two separate references that say he platted the land in 1870. So I think Wikipedia has an error there. Um, So it says in this reference here that he, in 1870, Mr. Stevens laid a village plat and called the village Stevensville. On April 3rd, 1872, the village plat was legally recorded at the Berrien County Courthouse in Berrien Springs, Michigan. The state senate proclaimed the village of Stevensville a chartered village in March of 1893. Small shops providing basic supplies and services in conjunction with the grist mills that began to sprout along the village limits. As business-minded men saw the potential of this budding community, other stores and businesses soon opened downtown. Now, there's a very interesting individual that came from Stevensville and had a major influence in the area, and his name was John Beers. Uh, John Beers came to Berrien County from New Jersey in 1869, and he was an enterprising man who hoped to become a successful fruit farmer. Four years later, he was elected supervisor of the Royalton Township, and during that same year, he met and courted Eliza Jane Hess, 
the daughter of Dr. Hiram Hess, MD of Berrien Springs, and Dr. Matilda Hess, one of the first women dentists in the area. John and Eliza were married in Benton Harbor on July 2nd, 1874, and made their home in Stevensville. So he was taking up the fruit farming and had a peach orchard. And when the yellows destroyed the peach crop that year, John decided to start a new career and entered the medical school at Northwestern University. The yellows was a disease that affected peaches, and according to the West Michigan Pike volume, which has a historical context on the history of agriculture in southwest Michigan, it was a disease that caused a yellow discoloration of the peach and the trees and the leaves and left them small and wiry. It doesn't go much more into details of what that was, but it was some sort of either disease or parasite that would destroy and turn a tree and its fruit into a shade of yellow. So John Beers decides to give up being a fruit farmer and goes to medical school at Northwestern University. Upon his graduation some years later, John returned to Stevensville to set up his practice, and later he and Mrs. Beers moved to the home of Dr. Matilda Hest, who is now a widow because her husband had passed away, and helped her operate an 80-acre farm along what is today on what's called John Beers Road. And stories are still told about the times when he was in the area and he would sit up all night with a young patient, giving medical advice and moral support until the crisis had passed. So he would treat patients well into the night and uh, had quite a reputation for his bedside manner. Dr. Beers uh, went to Germany for a year and took up additional medical studies. But along with his medical practice, he still maintained an interest in farming and he was active in politics in the area as well, serving at times as the Lincoln Township Supervisor. He also was a state senator, and after 1908 was a city alderman in St. Joseph. In other areas of interest, he was the first secretary of the Michigan State Grange, one of the founders of the Berrien Medical Society, and he was also a, one of the founding members of the St. Joseph Elks Lodge. So Dr. Beers died in 1923 of a stroke brought on by what was described as overwork during his years working in the flu epidemic that started in 1918. Dr. Beers' daughter, Matilda May Beers, also became a physician, as did his grandson, uh, Dr. Frederick H. Lindenfield of Niles. And his great-granddaughter, Dr. Joanne Lindenfield, was a graduate of the University of Michigan Medical School. So there was quite a history of doctors in his family tree following his lead. So the village of Stevensville has a lot of its early success due to the railroad stop that was established there when Mr. Stevens plotted the land. And over the years, it has experienced what one would call tremendous growth and change compared to its early years. 
However, it is still a very small village on the western side of the state, sitting on the shores of Lake Michigan. By 1878, the village had a hotel. It had grist mills. It had a smattering of stores and shops. It also had two churches and a couple of dozen homes right in the downtown area. Now, twice in the early part of the century, Stevensville suffered devastating fires, both of which nearly destroyed the entire village. The first was on October 9th, 1909, which burned half the village to the ground. The second fire occurred on May 28th, 1914, burning many of the major buildings, including the town hall, community center, and the high school gymnasium. What brought it back was the strong tourism and fruit farming industry that provided the money after each fire, and that allowed Stevensville to be quickly rebuilt. Now, in modern times, the total labor force in Stevensville is estimated to be about 595 people, and the four biggest employers in the village is a company called Intermit Cast Metanic, and there's also Griffin Tool, there's D-Blast Corporation, and Anstey Foundering Company. Those are the major employers in the village of Stevensville today, according to a Village of Stevensville report. Now today, Stevensville is still a popular place for peach orchards and apple orchards, they also have a winery, as well as some great beaches and certainly a lot more hotels than back in the day. And it's just a little interesting village in Berrien County that has somewhat of an interesting history surrounding the early railroad. And so I just kind of wanted to tell the story here on Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. Now, in close proximity to Stevensville, Michigan, is Grand Mere State park which is 1127 acres it's a state-owned property on lake michigan and it's also in berrien county and it's managed by the department of natural resources and environment recreation division of the state the area of the park was identified as a critical dune area by the state of michigan under the sand dunes protection act of 1978 the park was established a few years before that and one of the interesting things about the park is it has a magnificent high-relief dune system, which is approximately 12,000 years old, and it's a natural phenomenon found in few other places in the world. So the park has lakes and wetlands and a full range of like natural communities of birds and animals, which are unique to the area. Now, most of Grand Mere State Park is designated as a national natural landmark. 90% of the park, about 1,028 acres of it, reflects a primitive zone, as they identify it as, where it's in its original natural state. Despite this, the park also has a section that is open to the public where you can drive in there and park and take advantage of swimming, hiking, picnicking there's even a boat launch and during the winter time there's some cross-country skiing it actually received its national designation as
as a natural landmark in 1968. Now, biking on the trails that are in the park is prohibited. Trails contain many loose forms of sand and hard-packed dirt, but the beach there is quite amazing. It's characterized by its magnificent sand dunes when you're going through the area and you walk the trails back there, and it's got these deep blowouts that are about one mile on the Lake Michigan shoreline. There's also three inland lakes that lie behind the dunes, and those are part of the undeveloped natural area. What's fun about this place is when I visit and how I actually found out about Grandmere Park, and probably my only time visiting Stevensville, is that it has one of the few dog-friendly beaches on the shores of Lake Michigan. So you can walk with your dog there. You have to take them on a leash to the beach, but you can enjoy uh, the beach there with your dog. So dogs are permitted there. Now, the hike to the beach is a little bit challenging, so I would call it moderately challenging. But when you get there, it's somewhat of a secluded beach. When I was there, I went with my dog, Blue, and we stayed a couple hours, and there wasn't a lot of people there. There was one other person, I think, there with a dog, and they were enjoying the water and letting the dog run in the beach water. So it was um, a nice hike. I think I would guess you probably, from the parking area, you want to plan maybe a 30-minute walk before you get to the beach because you're kind of walking through sand. Uh, but it's a very nice place to visit, uh, especially in the summertime. And, of course, um, it's an amazing natural dune, so you should take your camera because you'll see some good views from the shores of Lake Michigan. Plus, also, uh, it's just a lot of interesting dunes and the grasses and things like that. So if you're into photography, it's a really interesting place to go visit. But it's got a lot of historic natural history there, so it is a great feature that's just outside Stevensville. And, of course, when you get done touring there, maybe you go inside the village of Stevensville and have a little lunch or something like that. So this is just a bit of a short one to feature this small village here. Do call a little attention to the small, interesting, historic village in this part of the state. If you like today's episode, please be sure to write a review on whatever app you're listening to. And if you'd like to reach out to me, you can contact me through my website at michaeldelaware.com. I do always appreciate the comments and suggestions that you guys send me. And until next time, when we take another journey into tales of Southwest Michigan's past, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.